Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. As Democrats and Republicans in Congress work to reach a deal on the USMCA, trade talks with China have escalated and intensified, with a US China trade meeting set to take place in Washington in early October. Brian Wilde moderates a conversation with Ed Royce, Lori Haru, Nadim El Shami, and Russ Sullivan, in which they lay out a timetable for passing the USMCA and discuss the probability of negotiating an agreement with China. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. I am Brian Wilde, and I am uh, very happy to be moderating this podcast where we're going to talk about trade. I am uh, joined by a very distinguished foursome of my colleagues, Ed Royce, Lori Haru, Nadim Alshami, and Russ Sullivan. We're going to be talking about trade, which seems to be you know, an issue that, that used to be a second or third tier issue and recently has been a tier one issue. It's kind of the top of everybody's mind right now. With that, I'm going to start with, with Chairman Royce. On the issue of trade as a whole, there's a lot of different topics. I'm not sure what order we're going to go in, but there's USMCA, there's the tariffs going on, we get to follow Brexit. Maybe you could could start us off. What what are we going to do first? Is it going to be USMCA and 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 if so, you know, what's the what's the status? When are we when are we actually going to have this debate? Well, I think because the USMCA is a must pass piece of legislation, must pass because of the impact that it will have on the automobile industry. If we don't get it done, the supply chain is so complicated in the automobile industry, and this would really hit jobs hard. Uh, Mexico has already passed the agreement. I think the assumption is that uh, the U.S. Congress will pass it up, get it out of the House in November. And, and hopefully uh, give the Canadian parliament enough time to do it before the end of the year. Uh, I think that the ideal outcome is, of course, to use this as momentum for some of the other trade agreements and for lessening the tariffs, uh, especially with respect to our problems uh, with, with Europe. Uh, I think now would be a good time to show some positive momentum towards accomplishing this goal. So um – you know, USMCA is a teed up by a Republican president. Seems to be a Republican issue, um, and Democrats have raised some concerns with with where we're at. Where where are where are the Democrats' concerns with this um, right now? And I'll go to Russ. Well, look, Brian, uh, I I believe this USMCA is a step forward, and I think if you ask most Democrats privately who studied it, they would tell you the same. Uh, many times, members of Congress are elusive publicly about what changes they want or what they need to get their vote. That's not been the case this time. I think Democrats have been very clear from the beginning uh, that they have concerns about uh, environment, labor, and uh, a new entrant that that's, they don't always have concerns about, but uh, enforcement is is one area. And I, I think they have uh, articulated those concerns, delivered letters, had meetings uh, with Lighthizer and with, with others, uh, and I think they want some movement there. Well, look, Democrats have had some practice with this, uh, and they had this practice with President Obama uh, with the TPP, and they feel that this is an opportunity to right the wrong to right the ship of NAFTA. Many of them who voted for it, um, including uh, uh, many in leadership who voted for NAFTA, 
um, feel that NAFTA did not deliver on enforcement, did not deliver on labor issues, did not deliver on environmental issues. Um, and with uh, with this uh, USMCA uh, and their ability to, as Russ said, lean in, uh, they can make positive changes and go back and say, look, we have provided um, you know, a new uh, trade momentum and a trade victory for Democrats, and we forced the president to move more towards our side, toward the Democratic side. So, so sticking on the Democrats for a second, does that mean that, that what we have now has to change? Are there ways to change it other than to go back to the drawing board and sit down with Mexico and Canada and hammer it out? Uh, they have to change it, uh, I believe. They have to go in and they have to change the language and have to go back. And, and, uh, and it's not going to be uh, maybe side letters or anything like that. Democrats want to see real changes within, uh, within the agreement itself. I'll make one observation here. One of the pieces of good news from the standpoint of reform on labor issues – in Mexico and on the issue of enforcement is that the new government, Obrador's government in Mexico, from the standpoint of getting this agreement done, they have changed the law so that it is easier now uh, to join a union, easier also uh, to vote for your own leadership in the union and the enforcement issue also is one that they have addressed in legislation. So it does give uh, a little bit of standing uh, for the Speaker of the House to point to point to those changes and to say, yeah, they're meeting us part way. I do agree. You know, there are other issues that members are going to want to see, and there's probably more way than one way to approach that. But in terms of the reforms in Mexico City, that is one positive step in terms of getting this agreement done. And I would follow up on Chairman Royce. I'm talking about what's going on in Mexico. It's my understanding that a number of Republicans and Democrat members traveled to Mexico in August. And my understanding is that in conversations with labor ministers, some of the you know um, nascent union movement down there, that a lot of the things that have been done to address what Democrats want here in the United States have, have led to really a transformational moment in Mexico. And that was the word that was used to me. It's transformational. And um, even their um, ministers have acknowledged that in the past, we have tried to uh, create an economy based on low wages. That didn't work. We learned our lesson. Now we're more focused on um, productivity and competitiveness. Those changes certainly have occurred in Mexico, but I think that'll make it easier for them to step forward and make some changes in this agreement. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, Democrats do remember 25 years ago when it was a close vote on NAFTA uh, and many of them agreed to side letters and and handshakes and things with the Clinton administration and with others. And having been on the Hill at that time, many of those agreements did not uh, – were not followed through. And so I think word has gotten – carried along throughout the years among Democrats. Some are still around and they're going to insist on. And some are actually in charge and have a copy of that side letter from President Bill Clinton during a meeting in the Oval Office. Well, I, I remember the, the, the NAFTA debate and I'm just old enough to remember that. And, and you know, several of the other free trade agreements over the last 20 years, I think I probably lobbied Lori on it at one point, I'm sure. 
in order to get all of this, all of them done, though, you you needed a very robust whip operation, um, and they needed to be bipartisan. So I think one of the questions is 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 this, of all things, is trade going to be the bipartisan victory that we've finally been waiting for, and that would require Speaker Pelosi and the president to hold hands and jump. Nadim, is this it? Um, just from watching the engagement of um, Trade Representative Lighthizer with the Democrats and with the Republicans, uh, he demonstrates that this administration is truly engaged on this issue. And um, having Chairman Neal and having the uh, working groups in the House also demonstrates that House Democrats are engaged on this issue. Uh, there hasn't been a, 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 an, an immediate rejection of the latest proposal by the administration that does make some changes that Democrats had asked for, but it's only the beginning. There's going to be other discussions. Uh, you never agree to the first draft of of your um, you know of your opponent's uh, agreement. So, but I think the discussions are going to continue. And look, you have to have a whip operation. If you look at back at TPP. Um, while the Obama administration was fully engaged and the Democrats were reviewing it carefully, there wasn't truly the, the, the type of, of whip operation that you needed to get such a, a transformative piece of legislation through. And, and, you know, and of course, politics played a big deal. But when you have the president of the United States, who's a Republican, you have the Speaker of the House, who's a Democrat. There is a chance here to get this, uh, to get it through the finish line. Lori, is, is your old boss, uh, is, is Mr. Brady in the Ways and Means Committee, and are, are they working this? Is, this? is this a priority? Oh, it's definitely a priority. It has been probably since the moment the president said he was going to renegotiate it. They're pretty serious about this. They have their, their standing whip team specifically for trade agreements, and, um, and they actually work very closely with the Democrats who also support um, trade agreements. So they've already, they've already begun meeting, already begun meeting, talking to members. So let's be optimistic, which is hard to be these last couple years. And let's, let's make an assumption that USMCA actually passes at some point. Chairman Royce, what, what comes next? What's, what's the next battle in trade after USMCA or maybe at the same time as USMCA? Well, we know the Chinese are coming to uh, Washington for trade talks in early October. And I think the United States really needs the support of Europe in order to see some real change in the state of trade with China. Now, what we have is Europe has exactly the same complaints and interests that we have in this. So in order to bring the Europeans on board in terms of that additional leverage, it would be nice if between now and, and then we could calm the um, tariff talk between Europe and the United States. We, we have to get a, an accord. Let's not uh, compound our problems. So I think that that's an important um, addition to strategy here in terms of really getting the, the economy humming and getting the changes that we need out of China. Well, and, and you know, the administration has kind of exacerbated the problem with tariffs and, and here it is. We're supposed to have a, a humming economy after tax reform and he's kind of made a series of promises. And then one of the things that seems to be holding the economy back is his very own actions um, with China. Well, a businessman have to – and businesswomen have to be able to plan long range. So turmoil 
in the markets is an impediment to that. It keeps capital from being deployed. And so I, I think uh, the sooner that we smooth this out with Europe, the better. And in fact, it's almost a necessary prerequisite for us to achieve our long-term objectives with China. Correct. So is there a is there a way out uh, on the on the China front? So we have you know this ever escalating trade war that's going on. Um, you know, I, I, tariffs were delayed recently to October. The, the last wave of increases was delayed 15 days for a Chinese holiday, I guess. So as soon we get Europe as part of it, what's is there a, a trade deal? Is it just a handshake? Is it um, you know what's what's the conclusion? How does how does a president that loves to declare victory declare victory? Well, fortunately, uh, or unfortunately for the economy in China, um, the reality is that she is taking a lot of internal criticism within the party for his rigidity because they now have a situation for the first time in sixteen years where you know the economic growth is really. Uh, uh, has really tapered off uh, exports of automobiles and so forth. And so internally there's a discussion. Uh, maybe in taking these intransigent positions, we are compounding the problems in China. We have to look at that side of the equation too. And that is why I would like to see a uniform front between the U.S., Mexico, Canada, and Europe all laying on the table the changes that everyone needs to see in terms of behavior in terms of rule of law uh, on the part of China in these uh, trade agreements. D Democrats were uh, originally loudly unified behind the president when it comes to China in terms of uh, dealing with forced technology transfers and IP thefts and things along those lines. Now uh, the president has gone too far with his tariffs to China and, and the interesting movement is Democrats and Republicans are quietly unified uh, against the president and the tariffs. And what you're hearing it from uh, districts across the country and businesses across the country, especially in the ag space, is the impact it's having. And But as, as the chairman said, the impact of the tariffs on China currently um, on their economy uh, and on the palace intrigue there, but China also plays for the long game. It plays for the long term. And until uh, there is a, a genuine discussion between uh, this administration and uh, the Chinese government um, where an agreement is, is, is reached, uh, this could escalate and could continue. Uh, we know the president will continue and we know that China, uh, even though things are not going well uh, at the moment, uh, will will keep going as well. One of the surprises in Beijing has been how quickly supply chains have begun to relocate out of southern China over to Southeast Asia. And so you can actually monitor the growth, you know, in um, Southeast Asia uh, in trade with the United States as you watch investors pull out and relocate. So, you know, that's the other side of the equation. That's the other side of the balance. And um, you raise a really good point, Mr. Chairman, because in China, this this um, had actually started a while ago with um, wages were rising and um, the Chinese people were appreciating these jobs. But then, of course, the company started um, moving their supply chain. Then this whole situation has really exacerbated it. I do think while – I think Democrats and Republicans support what the president has done. There may have been a little bit of a mistake, and I'm not a China expert. There might have been a little bit of a mistake because 
he is so theatrical and dramatic about how he says everything, the Chinese government has been able to phrase it and persuade the Chinese people, this is bullying. You know, they're just trying to force us to do something. And I think it's been easier for them to play then on their patriotism to, you know, to withstand whatever is going on. Whereas if we had followed the more traditional, been tough and followed traditional negotiating ploys where it's just kind of quiet under the scenes, but been tough about it, I think it would have been harder for the leadership to count on the people from not getting really restless about this and, and really rebelling against the, the economy. Well, and, and, and here in the United States, I mean, lots of industries are getting, are, are, are getting harmed, not just in the short term, but maybe in the long term because of the retaliatory tariff that China has put on our goods. And a lot of those are, are, are Trump allies, um, farmers in particular are – does that matter? Is this is is Trump's listening to his base and his the farmers, or is or is it? Well, I think Trump's I think costs? Trump's tones actually buying him some time. I think with individuals, if they're not involved in a business enterprise directly as a as an employee or an owner, they may not see the adverse impact of the tariffs. And part of this is could be due to goods coming to the U.S. and heading to China through third countries. But I think he's bought some time there with the voters to try to resolve the issue. However, I think you hit on a point, which is it's those who are actually involved in business dealings who actually deal with their customs brokers and their exporters and their importers who are very frustrated and are losing patience here. And uh, I think he has a limited time frame to uh, to keep those people on his side. But what makes it interesting is there's no industry greater dependent on exports than the American agricultural industry, and um, they're the ones that are taking, you know, the most public hit on all of this. But they're also the ones that have really kind of dug in and said, "Look, things are unfair. They have been even to you know other industries. It's not just to them, but they're saying." We need to fix this before we move forward. But, of course, their patience will not be infinite. Well, and we're now, um, you know, bleeding into an election year. Um, we saw – you had mentioned the TPP earlier, which, which ultimately did not pass. And one of the drivers for TPP not passing was the politics of an election year. And we saw both uh, the Democratic uh, nominee for president and the Republican nominee for president come out against TPP because it was a – popular issue to be opposed to at the time. We're going into the next cycle. I haven't heard a lot on trade from from the Democratic candidates out there. Are, are, are we going to see the same kind of rush to protectionism on the in the presidential race? You know, the interesting thing is you're going to hear it from some um, on the top of the ticket. But you're not going to hear it from candidates from tough districts who President Trump had won where there's a big agricultural interest, for example, because we're talking about China trade. But they also heard it about getting USMCA done and providing some certainty you know, to, uh, uh, to trade in our country. So you know, it's not an issue as, uh, uh, that cuts across party line as it, as it did or all parties are against it. And look, and TPP was a lost opportunity, whether you liked it or not. It was framed as a treaty that would isolate China, that would provide the United States the ability uh, to be part of this much larger uh, coalition and against, against China. 
Uh, and I think it, Democrats learn from that, and that's why they want to get UMCA done, USMCA done. So I'll pose a question that was actually posed to me earlier today by Mr. Sullivan to my right. There's a lot of discussion about the, the chance we could have a recession in the next uh, four to six months. We could start to see that. If that happens, um, how does that impact our trade debate? Does it? You know, I'd like to, to hear what Russ's answer is because he posed the question. <laughs> I, I think uh, a recession uh, hurts hurts us in terms of moving forward on trade. I agree. I think it's good for uh, for pushing forward uh, legislation on infrastructure investment or other things but not trade. So to summarize, uh, I feel like for a complex issue, we, we have a little bit of optimism going on. I think uh, both – the Democrats and Republicans think that we're going to get USMCA done and it sounds like there's somewhat agreement that the Trump strategy on China is working. I, I um, no. agree with you on the former. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not, not that one. The latter is a tougher call. Yeah. It's... I'll tell you, my observation on it is that we can't discount the fact that the Chinese were at the table and we did get close until President Xi walked away. That was before the Chinese economy began to take a hit and have the same pressures that we see right now here in the United States. So I think the forces are aligning so that maybe we come back closer to the original deal uh, when the Chinese delegation arrives. And this time there might be reluctance on the part of the head of state in China to um, take an absolutist position and and walk away from that deal. For all of the reasons we've discussed, I think there is momentum here. I don't think with all of the variables in this that we know the outcome, but we can say that uh, we know what we need to do to move it forward in order to leverage Beijing. I think that's a great way to end it. Thanks, everyone, for joining us and um, check in for our next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.